0: Welcome back to the Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. Today at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Episode 464 on our network. It's a Wild Turkey Thursday today. Got six shows in a row. We start out with Pat Hankin on Toe the Rubber Early. I will not spoil the punchline with the guest here. I'll let Mark and Will introduce our guest, but followed up today by the Hall of Famer Jim Cott with Cotts Corner. Joe Frazzaro has Sean Flynn, former marketing director with the Florida Marlins. Gordon Blakely joins She Gone with Jeff Fry, a longtime Yankee scout. And Then we have Mandy Bell, and then the day, MLB.com with Jerry Trupiano. So with today's, before we get going with our hosts, just want to thank our sponsors. First Millions, thanks for taking on our marketing. Go to Millions link in the show notes. And under Book Me Advertisers, you can book either this show right here or any of our shows by hitting the Book Beam button and placing in your proposal to our hosts. You can also book our host for speaking engagements. Also, click the shop button. You can hit some of our new merchandise hats, hoodies, t shirts for men and women. Or you can bring our hosts on for experiences. Ask them a question pertaining to baseball, and they'll be happy to answer to you 30 to 90 seconds. Real quick, real simple. Also, want to thank Jaw Bats, the newest certified base uh, bat in Major League Baseball. It's a maple bat. My son Tanner's using his M110 model lefty righty. Jeff Fry hit a pull side double in fantasy camp for the Red Sox. So as he said, it's got to work. Um, so jaw bat use RVG at checkout get you a discount on a brand new maple bat. Kinetic arm, one of the new devices that's trying to solve some of the pitching issues that we talk about week to week on our shows. It overloads the stress, or I'm sorry, it takes away the stress externally, prevents lag. It's a multi joint dynamic stabilizer and it aids in deceleration. Use RVG DAG D A G RVG DAG at checkout get you a discount on that. Also want to thank one-on-one college pathways helps young kids obtain scholarships for baseball and basketball over $540 million in scholarships over the last four years. And then our newest one will unveil next week. Monet hair care product, self-care products Said so they can help baseball guys take care of their hat head. So, um, we'll see if that works. I'll try it out on myself first before we experiment on you guys, but, uh, welcome back to your guys show, Mark and Will. I'm excited for this guest. Say. Who you got today for us?
1: Well, we got Rich Donnelly, longtime major league coach, uh, minor league manager, um, been in the game for, gosh, I don't know how many years, over 50 years in professional baseball. Um, Rich is from Steubenville, Ohio, went to uh, Steubenville Catholic Central High School there, multi-sport athlete, uh, went to Xavier University. he uh, signed in 1967 with the Minnesota Twins as a catcher, played for four years in the minor leagues, then started his minor league managing career, which led to major league uh, career. The minor leagues, he, he managed for 14 years um, with the uh, Texas Rangers, New York Mets organizations uh, in the major leagues. He played, he was coaching for 28 years. Um, uh, Texas Rangers, Pittsburgh Pirates, Florida Marlins, Colorado Rockies, Milwaukee Brewers, Los Angeles Dodgers, Seattle Mariners. So you can see he hit uh, he hit six major league teams or seven major league teams during his twenty eight year career. Um, some of his accolades and awards. He was a Western Carolina manager of the year in nineteen seventy four. Won the uh, they won the championship at Gastonia. Um, he coached in three. NLCSs with Pittsburgh um, in 1990, 91, and 92. Um, then he was with the Marlins when they won the World Series. Of course, I personally got touched with that one. I was on the opposing Cleveland Indians uh, staff uh, that lost in the seventh game in the 11th inning to the Florida Marlins. I'm sure we'll cover that a little bit in a broadcast. Uh, another side note is Rich is a on the Board of Directors of International Racquetball Tour. We'll hear a little about that. Uh, he coached for uh, the new Hall of Fame gym manager, uh, Jim Leland, um, on three different teams for 14 years. and They were in the playoffs uh, four times and obviously won the World Series once. Um, there's a book out, uh, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later, uh, in 20, 2018, uh, the Chicken Runs at Midnight, A Daughter's Message from Heaven That Changed Her Father's Heart and Won the World Series by Tom Friend. So we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Rich is one of the best storytellers I know, um, and I'm going to coax him to tell some of his stories because I think uh, our audience will enjoy it. Great to have you with us, uh, Rich. Hey, Mark. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, we. Uh, I know you and... Uh, you and Will were together with the Marlins. And then uh, I was together with you when you were with Colorado. Uh, I was part of the front office staff when you were a coach in third base there. And uh, you know, it's, you know, we talked to a lot of uh, a lot of guys about how they start their careers. And I was wondering, you know, you started managing at a really young age. Actually, I played, I was playing the Pacific coast league and you managed against me when I was a player. Um, and you were probably a re- very close to my age, um, which is really young to start managing in, in your coaching career. Uh, who got you started? What, you know, what's the story behind that? And, 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 uh, those opportunities you had, who gave you those opportunities?
2: Well, the, the thing that got me, my main opportunity was my batting average of about one 180. Uh, And uh, But anyway, the the story is this. Uh, Ted Williams, uh, when I got drafted, I I got drafted by the Senators from the Twins. I went to spring training. My manager was Ted Williams, the greatest hitter of all time. And uh, he told me that that I was going to go to AAA out of A-ball. And I said, oh, that's great, great. And then I went there, and I had a decent year. And they uh, they were gonna had a had a call up of catchers, and I thought they were gonna call me up, and he didn't. So anyway, I got mad at him, and when they came to play Denver, they in an exhibition game, uh, I was catching, and I threw out a couple guys, and then I directed a couple remarks toward Ted. I cussed him out, is what I did, and I went home that night and told my wife, I think I'm out of baseball. I just cussed out Ted Williams, and. <laughs> And I found out next spring training that tech, Ted Williams recommended me to Hal Keller, our farm director. He said that Donnelly kid would be a good manager. And so at 24, uh, I started my first year in managing in Greenville, South Carolina with the Rangers. And then I can like I say i managed there for 10 years with him. But Ted Williams is a guy that, that, that because I cussed him out, he sort of liked that, I think. And uh, he recommended that I'd be a good manager. <laughs> what a good story! That's
1: awesome. Yeah, you know you. You know it's funny because you know because you were in the game for so long, especially at a high level, and you worked for some of the best managers uh, in the big leagues. And, and it's particularly Jim. You know what set Jim Leland apart from other guys that you worked for, um, and what were some of the things you learned from him and the other managers you worked for?
2: Well, i worked for some great managers. Pat Corrales, God rest his soul, gave me my first shot in the big leagues. Uh, I worked uh, I worked for Dead Yost in Milwaukee. I worked with uh, Grady Little uh, in, with the Dodgers. And I worked with Lloyd McClendon in Seattle, all great managers. But most of my, my time, like you said, Mark, was spent with Jim. And the thing that made Jim, I think, real good, uh, he was a communicator. He communicated with the bench players. He communicated with the superstars. He handled everybody differently. They always say, well, you got to treat everybody the same. Well, Jim treated the bench players like bench players, but he was honest with them. And the two biggest words I use with Jim all the time are honesty and loyalty. He was honest as a day is long. And I bet as a coach, and I'm sure he was for Tony LaRussa. He was as loyal as the day is long, and that's what he expected out of his players and coaches. So if he had something to tell you that you might not like, it, but it was the truth, he wouldn't sugarcoat it or anything else. He'd tell you straight up. One example is that we, one year in spring training with the Pirates, we're down to the last day, and I'm the Grim Reaper. I got to go get the player and bring him into gym, who's going to tell these guys they're going down to A. So he tells me, go get John Wayner." We called him Rock. John's now a great announcer for the Pirates. And I go, hey, Rock. I said, Jim wants to see you. So Rock walks in. He got his head down. He goes, I know, I know, Skip. I'm going down. He goes, Rock, let me tell you one thing. He goes, you can't hit. You can't field. You ain't got no position. You got no power. You got brick hands, but you're on my team. And that, <laughs> that was Jim's way of telling him that you're, you're not great but I like the way you play you're a good utility man and you're going to be on the team in the big leagues but, and that's the way Jim talked to his bench players and if you if you ask any of those bench players they love Jim because he was boldly honest with them but the other thing is and I always talked to them, I, I said nowadays they have a they have a brochure that comes out every spring for teams and on the front cover usually is all the stars on your team. And to be a good manager nowadays, I told Jim, you know why you're good? You have to you, – you manage the guys on the front of the cover. And in our days, it was Bonds, Benilla, Van Slyke, Draybeck, and Chico Lynn, Jay bell Jeff King. You, you have to manage the guys on the front a front cover of the, of, the, uh, of the press guide, but you also have to ma- manage those guys that are on the back pages of the press guide the bench players. And Jim could do that or did do that as well as anybody I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I worked for a lot of different managers myself and, you know, it's, you know, it's really hard, you know, when sometimes coaches are guys that want everybody to like them and it upsets coaches when a manager's really truthful with players. But I think that, Players respect you a lot more when you're truthful with them. You know, right. um, I you know I've said it on many podcasts. When I be when I'm watching, uh, you know, when I'm a coordinator or a director of pitching for an organization, and I'm watching young pitching coaches work with a player, and they've been working really hard on the guy's curveball, and all of a sudden, um, the guy throws a mediocre one, but because the the coach has been working so hard with him. He wants to encourage him. So he says, Oh, that's a great one. And I'm, and I'd walk behind him and I go, no, it's not. (laughs) Because I don't want the player to think that's what we're trying to go for.
2: Yeah. It's not, it's not right. It's not
1: right. And it's not true. So, you know, I, I like being around people like that that tell the truth and, you know, you know, we've all worked for managers and played for managers that say the door's always open. But if you're going to ask me a question, you better be ready to handle the
2: answer. Right.
1: And well,
2: uh, Jim, Jim was a tremendous communicator and uh and if if you <laughs> i know one thing if you come into his office and you wanted to know something, he was going to tell you straight up whether you like to hear it or not
3: <laughs> no that's no. it's one of the biggest problems in the game you know, we, we 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 from a developmental side scouting now i uh people are afraid to Manage the players and make them accountable for their actions, and I think that's why we see the laxadaisical play that we see now. It's a it's a shame.
1: You know, people and, want to be their friend instead of making them the best they can be.
2: Yeah, and no. and
1: you know, a lot of that has to do with experience. The less experienced a guy is, he does he hasn't seen the consequences of doing that.
2: Right, and then oh, the other yeah. thing is that Jim could do like. A lot of players, managers and coaches nowadays, I and I tell all these young guys, don't try to take take credit for a great player. You know, we we had Barry Bonds, who was all the greatest player I've ever seen. Him and Larry Walker were two of the best. And Jim, Jim, Jim says the only thing I do with Barry and and Larry, I say good morning and good night. I I don't <laughs> have I don't have to go to dinner with him. I don't have to tell them how to hit. He says, the only thing I told bonds about hitting is that I couldn't. And, and you don't, you don't, you don't try to take credit for him. Barry was going to be a great hitter no matter who managed him He and and, and Larry, the same way. And Jim says too many of our young managers and coaches, they try to jump on a good players bad bandwagon. Hey, these guys were going to be good no matter what. And Jim, I mean, Jim says, Hey, I don't have to be their best friend. I don't have to take them out to dinner. He says, but I'll tell you what, between 730 and 10 every night I love those suckers yeah right.
1: you know it's funny when we played against you guys in the World Series in 97 I remember talking to Larry Rothschild um, like during batting practice and you know I always used to talk to Matt, the pitching coaches of other teams to see if I could learn anything and and I asked him I said how does how does um, how does Jim Han use you? And he said, "Well, he says Jim, he likes to have me give him all the information before the game, but during the game, he says it confuses him, and so I stand down at the other end of the dugout."
2: Yeah, I thought that
1: was. I thought that was funny.
2: Oh, during it, Jim is one of the funniest human beings on the face of the earth. If you, I mean, I've been around him, I've room with him, and everything, and people think he's a real rough, gruff guy. He's the funniest guy I've ever met in my life. But, but. During the game, don't go near him. Don't come up and start telling him jokes or asking him, you know, boy, it's cold out here or something like that. He was zoned in on it so much that he didn't like anybody to mess with him during the game. You're absolutely right.
1: Well, you know, the other thing is that I, I always thought, you know, he had such a passion and he was so into it that he probably made more trips to the pitching mound than any other manager for me. It seemed like I was – instead of the pitching coach, he was always – if he had something he wanted to get across, he didn't want to do it through his pitching coach. He said, I'm going to go tell him.
2: Absolutely. One night – one night I'm going to tell you this quick story. One of his favorites was Bob Walk. And if I can tell you two stories about him, uh, Walkie was out there one day and and uh, Walkie's a great guy. He's an announcer now for the Pirates. Anyway, tough guy. Anyway, first inning he gave up six runs, Mark. And, and Jim goes out to the mound and holds holds his hand out for the ball, and Walkie goes, "Hey Skip, I'm okay. I can get this next guy out." Jim goes, "I know you can. You got him out an hour and a half ago to start the inning." <laughs> <laughs> uh. and, then, and then one night in Montreal, now Jim loved him so, and 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 Mark, you remember this, and Will, you remember this, in Montreal when the pitcher threw over to first on the, on the opposing team, they put a chicken on the board every time he threw over. So they, you know, you throw over puck, puck, they put a chicken two times. They put two chickens. So one night Waukee's pitching and Jim's on the bench with our, with our great pitching coach, Ray Miller. And now in, in Jim's uh, philosophy, you're not allowed to throw to first unless he tells the catcher to throw to first with a signal. So he's sitting there they get a guy on first. Walkie throws over and they, they put a chicken up on a bark. Buck, 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 the chicken. Next pitch, he comes set. He throws over again. Buck, buck, buck. They put two chickens up on the board. And and Jim and Jim tells Ray, he says, Ray, go out there and tell that SOB if he throws the first one more time, he's going to triple A. So Ray runs out there, and all of a sudden you see him laughing on the mound with uh with Walkie. And and then and then Ray, he's jogging back to the dugout, and he's laughing. And Jim goes, "What's so funny? What's so funny?" He goes, "Well, Skip," he goes, "Walkie found out that the record on on the board with, for chickens was seven, and he's trying to get the seven, and he only got to two. <laughs> <laughs> right, right uh, at the two. Right in the middle of the game, you know.
3: That's great. But uh, but
2: Jim understood that, and you know, and it it was fine. That's right.
3: funny, man. You know, you, you know, Rich, and for the people that are listening, you were there for uh, the Bonds incident in spring training. And uh, yeah. what Barry said later, what that did for him and his career, as we talked about earlier, about people just being honest with people and being yeah. straight up and forward. And what Jim did at that moment, uh, you know, helped Barry Bonds, you know, be be the great player, that he ended up being. And, You're exactly uh, right,
2: Will. And if I could tell you another story about that day, we had a rule that uh, when we when we stretched in spring training, we stretched in right field usually. And the rule was no photographer or press could be in fair territory. Well, Barry had his own photographer out there taking shots of him. And our great coach, Bill Verdon, he right. told the photographer, hey, you got to get out of here. And Bonzi goes, oh, no, Bill. He, he's okay. He can stay here. And Bill goes, no, he can't. He goes, Bill, he's staying here. That's when Jim heard it. So Jim comes over and then you all, you everybody has heard yeah. that, you know, Jim, he has 17 bleeps and he's talking yeah. and he, okay. So that night, Jim and I, we stay together at the apartment. So we go back to the hotel. I mean, back to the condo. I'm laying on the floor and they're showing it on ESPN every other minute. Bop, 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 bop. And Jim's laying on the couch, quite casually smoking a Marlboro. And
3: right. he, goes,
2: he goes to me, Rich, you want him? I goes, no, get rid of him. He, did, he, he disrespected Bill Verdon. Get rid of him. So Jim don't say nothing. Boom, about 10 minutes later, they show it again. Jim has another puff on his cigarette. And he goes, Rich, you want him? I goes, no, he disrespected Bill. You have, you've put up with his crap for three years. Get rid of him. So Jim's laying there. He ain't moving again. I get up to go to the refrigerator and I look down at Jim. I says, Jim, you want him? He says, you're damn right. I want him. (laughs) And that year, Will and and Mark, when we won the pennant, Jim Jim Bleeden was carried off the field and Barry Bonds carried him off on his shoulders with Lloyd McClendon. And he's pointing up at him going, he's the greatest. He's the greatest. That's right. After all that, they both had tremendous respect. And still do to this day for each other.
3: That's right. You know those who truly care about you will tell you the truth. And, oh yeah,
2: and, and you're right about Barry and and I can say that's Jim to the T. And Barry Barry loves Jim Leland.
3: That's exactly right. Wow,
1: that's a, those are great that's stories. Awesome. Jim Jim uh, very deserving to go in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Um, uh, he kind of exemplifies what you know we all think a manager should be. Um, you know, you've had a, a lot of impact on thousands of players yourself during your career, both in the minor leagues and the major leagues. You know, what was always important for you to pass on to them?
2: Well, you know, like I say, I've, I've learned so much from everybody. I've stolen everything I told. I give talks all over the country now. I speak a lot about our book, Chicken Runs at Midnight, which we'll talk about, which is about to be a movie with California Avenue Productions. Anyway. But but the thing I've learned, I've, I've learned from Jim, I learned from guys like Don Zimmer. I mean, guys back in the day, I had Ted Williams as my manager. Pat Corrales was a tough sucker. He was my first manager. Grady Little, all these guys I learned, I learned how to treat people right, how to be honest with them. And I said, no matter what, in all my career, uh, I still get calls back from players who have become success in other areas. And they call me back and say, Rich, you were honest with me, you taught me a lot. And I said, guys, I stole everything I knew. I didn't knew I'm not smart enough to come up with all that stuff by myself. I said, I was so lucky to to be my first manager, Mark, you don't know this, was a guy named Carol Hardy. Carol Hardy was a guy who the only guy that pinch hit for Ted Williams. And Carol played center field for the Red Sox. And in the offseason, he was a tailback for the 49ers. Wow. <laughs> Back in, but he was my first manager, taught me discipline. And then I played for the great Dale Wilbur in Denver. And then, like I could say, Ted Williams. I got to be around Billy Martin. I got to be around so many good managers. I, back in the day, I used to talk to Gene Mock. I used to talk to, like I say, to Zim. Uh, you know, all these guys had been around, Sam Mealy with the Twins. All these guys had been around for a while and asked them how they did it. And I tried to put that all together and uh again honesty and loyalty in this game will take you a long way
3: no doubt
1: you know it's it's amazing um you're right you know and and how many times have you had guys come up to you and, and say things about something you taught them or said to them or whatever and you don't have you don't remember it at all
2: no, <laughs> you don't remember.
1: I, you I, know, I had that with other teams, you know, guys will come over yes. that I had for a number of years with one team and he's playing for another team and they come over, Oh, Mark, I figured out what you were saying about that. I finally got it. You know, and I'm going again, I don't remember saying that, but I guess I did.
2: <laughs> and then the other thing I learned, Mark, was that you you don't realize sometimes what an impact you have on people, not only in baseball, but in their lives. I mean, sometimes, you know, when you're a young coach, you, you you think of players as just baseball people? No, and I've over the years I've I've tried to learn about the people. In fact, when I managed Mark, I I used to look look at the kids' bio. I want to see where they came from. I want to see who their parents were. I want to see what sports they played in high school. If they had any other interest, uh, and I tried to learn about the people. And if you know a lot of kids from Latin America, uh, geez my, my best friend in baseball is probably Mariano Duncan. And geez, I I mean, I've learned so much about the culture of the Latin American player that I didn't know when I started. And, and I didn't know that, you know, some of these kids come from places where they have, they're playing ball with no shoes. They're playing with cardboard, a cardboard thing on their hand for a glove and what they had to overcome to get to the States and become good players. I never knew all of that when I started. So I tried to go more personable the longer I stayed in it. And and I enjoyed it, l- learning about these guys. And some of these guys who I thought were, were, were dummies and everything, crap, they end up being the presidents of universities and stuff. I mean, they shocked me. But but I didn't know that. I thought they were just baseball players who didn't make good decisions or something. I didn't even know they had another life.
0: Hey, Rich, how much, is, how much of that is an advantage to, to the Latin American player as opposed to maybe how our – Kids are brought up now in the developmental stages where they're overcoached, undertaught, skilled uh, hitting,
2: hitting
0: oh. coaches, throwing coaches. Uh, what did you see differently over there that maybe our kids are being bypassed now because of it?
2: Well, after I talked to Mariano, I spent, like I guess, I spent years with him coaching, and like I can say we talk all the time. He's probably my best friend from Latin America. That, and and he told me this. Uh, I brought him home one time to Steubenville, and I took him down to a place where I have coffee every morning, the Spot Bar. And I go, and these guys were saying, "Hey, Mariano, when you uh, when you played t-ball," huh? and he looked at them like, <laughs> like they had three heads. He goes, uh-huh. we, uh, "We don't know. We don't play no t-ball." He goes, "Well, how about coach pitch?" He goes, "We don't play no coach pitch." He said, "Well, when did you start playing travel ball?" He said, <laughs> he said, he said, he said, travel ball. He said, the first time I played travel ball was when we went from LA to Chicago when I was in a big league. <laughs> That's travel ball. But uh, you know, all these Latin American players, it, it's amazing. It's amazing how good they are. And none of them have followed the path of our kids. Uh, none of them. They don't play uh, travel ball. They play baseball. They just go play. Yeah. And if, if if you just had to play travel ball to get to the big leagues, I say there's an awful lot of kids in this country to play travel ball that never sniff the big leagues. So it's not all about that. It helps to a degree but it, but it's not the ultimate that you have to do it to get there.
3: You know, it's, uh, it's, it's so awesome to hear you talk. And we talk on here all the time, Mark and I, and our guests, you know, we love the game and, the, and, and everything, but it's these relationships of the people that we've learned from over the years. Like you read, mentioned Ray Miller. He was my first minor league pitching coordinator. Uh, I learned so much about pitching from him. I, uh, I played for Mark uh, and uh, his first year managing. um, All the different people I we shared before we got on here about Jim Leland. Remember me pitching against him in the nineteen seventy eight Florida State League Championship Series. Yeah, just you know, those are the relationships. And the things that bring our passion for the game when we walk into a ballpark, and if I see you or I see Jim in Pittsburgh, uh, you know you smile. You know you go, oh gosh, this is going to be a good day, a good oh, week yeah. at the ballpark.
2: Absolutely. And, uh,
3: you know, and and I I don't know if the people that run the game realize that now you know, that's where all of our passion is. And that's why we love the game. We love to talk about the game. We love to help others get better at the game. We love to hear the stories that might, something might click in in your head as a young player from a story a coach told you. Right,
2: yeah, you're exactly right.
1: You know, uh, Rich, you you know, this this is a, a, you know, and I vaguely remember somebody telling me about you as a great racquetball player, and I see on the board of the international racket tour, you know how did you get involved with that and how did this racquetball thing come about?
2: Well, when I was younger, mark, I played a lot of handball in college my one of my 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 doubles partner was a national runner up and then I switched to racquetball and it's just a perfect game for me uh God bless me with some good reflexes and good hands and it just fit. I started playing, and then I got to meet. One of the greatest racquetball players of all time. His name is Sudsy Monchik, and 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 Sudsy uh, and a kid by the name of Jason Menino, and they were the two best players back when I was like in all playing pro ball. And when I went to Denver, I got to meet him. Not only meet him, I started playing with him, and then I got with the commissioner, the guy named Dave Negretti. And they says, Rich, why don't you be on our board? You're, you know, you're coaching. You understand stuff. And why don't you be our, our, you know, be on our board? And and I, I, said, I'll make you a deal. You set me up to play racquetball in all the cities I go to with some guys I can play with, some open and pro players, and I'll do it. And I did. And uh, I don't do it. I'm, I'm sort of an advisor now. I still talk to the guys on problems that they have. But there's a racquetball tour just like there's a golf tour for the girls and guys wow. and, and I love the sport because it's individual it's you, it's you <laughs> it's you against one other guy and it's uh, there's no excuses there's no coaches there's no hey why not why am I hitting seventh instead of not third yeah. uh, you know all this it's just you and I I still play I play five days a week I love it I follow it. And it's, like I say, it's been my passion since, uh, oh, my Lord, for 30, 40 years ago. And I, I've got a number of baseball players to play it. And, of course, the, great, the greatest player was Jeff Conine, who was a world champion at racquetball. Yeah. And then uh, back in the day, I got Doyle Alexander, who was a great pitcher for the, uh, for the Tigers and for the Rangers and I got in the Dodgers. And I got Doyle to play it. And he told me it made him a better pitcher. Because he, he said, every time I used to give up a home run, I'd blame the umpire, the catcher, the infielder made an error. He said, after I learned to play racquetball, I, I blamed myself and I became a better player. And I said, that's great that you that you took what you learned from racquetball and applied it to your career. So to me, it, it's just a great sport. It keeps you in shape. And uh, I like I say, it's, it's my passion to this day.
1: I mean, Jeff's wife
2: played too, right? correct. They were national champions. I told somebody, this is crazy. They were national champions in doubles, mixed doubles. They both took 10 years off and came back and won it again. That's how good they were. Wow. Wow. Wow.
1: You know, I know people that are good, you know, really good, uh, and they're playing against somebody that's not as good. You don't have to move that much because you know where to put the ball. Well,
2: I'm 77 and I'm glad you brought it up because I'm going to brag. The other day, a guy came in, a friend of mine. He was the national or no state runner up in Florida. And he was a state champion the last two years in West Virginia. He's 48 years old. And he walked into the place the other day and he says, hey, you want to play the best out of three? I beat him the first two. And uh, I said, good night. I'll see you later. Uh, that's <laughs> it. <I'm> not,
1: <laughs> you I'm dropped not, the
2: mic on him. No, I dropped the mic and I said, that's it. And like, the, and like my good friend, God rest his soul, Toby Keith had had a song and it's my favorite song. I'm not as good as I, no, I'm not as good as I, I once was, but for once I'm as good as I ever was. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a great song. And, that, and that's my song for racquetball. I can't beat those suckers like I used to, but once in a while I get them. Awesome. Okay, now I know this, you've got some really good stories,
1: but, you're from Steubenville Ohio and I know some other people from Steubenville it's got quite a history if you look it up there's books that they say mobsters murder and <laughs> and uh what was that monsters murder and, prost- and prostitutes or something oh yeah oh yeah yeah you know, so I mean there's books that have been written about it tell the story about when you were in school and it, you had a paper you had to
2: write yeah well I I had to paper, you know. First of all, I was in the first grade at Cathedral Grade School with the Dominican nuns. We had all nuns, and and at five years old, I played my first parlay, which in Steubenville, you know, <laughs> you know, Dean Martin's from here and Jimmy the Greek. So to play a parlay in, in in the first grade was no big deal. So I took the parlay sheet to school on a Friday, and I'm filling out my team. I'm five years old now. <laughs> And I'm filling out and Sister Dominica comes up to me and she goes, oh, Mr. Donnelly, what's that you got there? And I goes, oh, sister, yeah, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a parlay and I got to fill out the sheet for the game tomorrow. She says, let me see that. She says, what do you do? I says, well, there's a bunch of teams here and you pick out the winning team. And if you pick out two out of three or three out of three, you put in 20 bucks and you'll win 40 or 45. She says, really, is that right? She picked up the. She picked up my parlay sheet. She, she circled Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame, and gave me twenty bucks, and <laughs> and she hit yeah. and she hit it. And Monday, I brought her back seventy bucks, and she said, "Hey, don't forget next Friday. Let's do this again." <laughs> That's
1: a great story, man. Awesome. Um, yeah. But tell them about that the the paper you wrote uh, with all the nicknames in it.
2: Oh yeah, I wrote it. See, there's a bunch of nicknames in our town. Everybody sort of has a nickname, you know. There's Tito Carinci. There's Bugsy Kurochi, There's Jabbo Callis. There's you know every a lot of people have have uh, nicknames. Half the people in this town, I didn't know their names. Tuttle's Miss Linsky, I mean, Paper Abramowitz. Everybody had a name, and I didn't know their names until until they were like like at their at their funeral. I'd see their eulogy and go. I thought it's like this one kid. I called him Mel his whole day, his whole. I say, "Hey, Mel, how you doing, Mel?" Hey, Mel. Well, when he had his eulogy, someone said, "Did did you go to the Tommy Frankhauser's funeral?" I goes, "Who's he?" He goes, "That's <laughs> Mel." I go, "Mel," I, I thought his name was Mel. They goes, "No, no, no. His name was Melonhead. They called him Mel for short." <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's great. Oh boy. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. There's always some things that go on in some people's lives that people don't know about how they grew up. And like you said earlier in the conversation, it's, it's communication. You know, when you learn more about somebody, you know more, you know them better. You understand, you know, what they've been through. Uh, You know how to communicate better with them. And uh, you know, that's, what's great about stories. When you ask people about, their hometown or their families and stuff.
2: Oh yeah, you learn all about them.
1: Now, now you've been through more than your share of family tragedies in your lifetime, and you know I know that uh, you use your faith to get through and deal with it a lot. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Uh, well, I'll tell you the story real quick about the Chicken Runs at Midnight. I was with the Pirates in '92. I'm in the big leagues. Everything's going wonderful. We got a great team. I get a call from my daughter Amy in Texas, 17 year old, she goes, dad, I have to, something I have to tell you. And I, uh, I have a brain tumor and I'm sorry. And I thought, wow, uh, I was stunned. So she had the operation and a doctor told us she had nine months to live. And man, I just, uh, I I always tell Mark, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those that are humble, those are about to be, and I was about to be. And we went through that, uh, nine months with her. Uh, and she went to a ball game once in our playoffs and she saw me coaching third and I cut my hands. She goes, what are you telling those guys dad the chicken runs at midnight or what? And I will, where the heck do you come up with that one at? She goes, I don't know. It just came out. So as fate would have it, she passed away the following January. We, we put that on her tombstone, chicken runs at midnight, became our family motto. And we didn't know what it meant. And then five years later, we go to Florida with the Marlins and Halfway through the season, we acquire, acquire Craig Council, the great manager now with the Cubs, and uh, my two bat boy, my, my two boys, Tim and Mike, were the bat boys, and they nicknamed him the Chicken because he held his hands up real high when he hit, and he flapped his arms, and and so anyway, we get into we get into World Series, and you know, and uh, you know, mark the seventh game, and counts is standing next to me, and Edgar Edgarenteria gets gets the hit off Charles Nagy, we win, and I'm jumping around trying to find somebody to hug, and I see my son Tim running at me, and he's screaming. He's crying. I said, what are you crying for? What are you screaming? What's wrong with you? He said, Dad, look, look. And I said, look where? He said, look at the clock. And I turned around, look at the stadium clock and Pro Player Stadium at that time, and it was 12.02 midnight. He said, Dad, the chicken ran at midnight, and I lost it. I lost it. I lost it. I just fell to my knees. It was like I was struck from heaven. Craig Council, the chicken scored a winning run at midnight. Something she said five years earlier that we couldn't figure out. Wow, it, uh, incredible! It happened exactly the way she said, and from that point on, I made a promise that I would go around the country speaking, telling her, telling people about Amy, how she taught me so much. And then four years, uh, four years ago, my son Michael was in Texas driving home one night and a girl and her boyfriend had a wreck and they were pushing her car across the road michael jumped out of his car to help him as he pushed the car as he pushed to help push it a a car came around the bend at 85 miles an hour the highway patrol told me and he was and he threw her out of the way and he was struck and killed instantly and uh and but he saved her life and in the end michael had some trouble in his life but at the end given up his life to save a girl's life who he didn't even know was, it, it, it just gave me a feeling of warmth all through my body. And then four years ago, my other two daughters, Tiffany and Leanne, in fact, Leanne's the one that hooked us up today, uh, Dave, to do this. Uh, they were at the Las Vegas concert. They were standing there and they didn't know at the time what was going on. Anyway, uh, the bullet went right between their heads, hit the lady in front in the face and the girl went down. Of course, my my two daughters, Tiffany and Leanne, and didn't know the girl. They laid on top of her for 15 minutes of shooting. They tied a tourniquet around her face so to stopped the bleeding. And they wouldn't leave her until her paramedics came later, and they saved her life. So my kids have taught me a lot. My, oh my faith God. has got me through it. When I go around the country speaking, I try to tell people, uh, you know, what's it going to take to break you down? Uh, is, is it going to take a bad day at the office? Going, if for a baseball player? Is it going to take you an 0 for four? What's it going to take to br- take to break you? If you got faith in your life, you got the Lord in your life, it won't break you.'ll it'll, it'll, it'll shake you up, believe me, but you can go on and you can have, and that's my goal in life is to try to help other people go through maybe not what I went through, maybe even worse, but maybe not as worse or whatever and try to get through this life. And my son, my my son, my daughters and sons have shown me how to do it, and uh, I made a promise when Amy passed away that I would do that, and that's what I've tried to do uh, with all my speeches that I give.
3: Well, wow. God bless you, Rich. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: it's it's uh, you know it's hard for a lot of people to maintain their faith when they realize until they realize how much they need it.
2: Oh boy, yeah. I mean, I mean. I see all these things I always tell people in my speeches. I think when you watch TV, they have a cure for everything, everything. But, but they don't have a cure for what for what uh, what you have to deal with. How do you deal with failures? In baseball, Mark, as we know and will, you know, in basketball, they, there's failures all the time. The good people, the good players, the above average players, they, they deal with them and move on. It's, it's like in your life. You, you deal with it. And then you move you, know, you move on. You might move on slowly. Uh, my, my, my Amy died 25 years ago. And every day I think about her. Every day I think about what she said. But more importantly, what she did her the last nine months of her life. I think about Michael. What possessed him to throw that girl out of the way and save her? What possessed my two daughters to jump on that girl and save her life? And I said, if my kids could do that. I always tell people, I've, I've been on this earth about, oh, let's see, I'm 77 times 365. I think that comes out to something like 3,000 days on earth or, or, or I don't know. And I don't know how many days I have left and I don't want to waste them. And I want to try to help other people and the way that my kids have helped me. So that's, that's my way of getting through it. and I, And I think and I hope that other people can get through their problems the same way.
0: Rich, you're obviously a man of great faith. Um, how you've endured and, and have the perspective that you have right now is, is amazing to me. Who's the balance in your life right now? Who's the, who's the reason that gets you to this truth that you've, you've come to?
2: I think it's it's Jesus Christ. You know, when I was little, I was brought up a strict Catholic, and then I got away from my faith, uh, Dave. I got a, you know, I was way out of the baseline. I say, and then I got, and then I needed a third base coach to get me back in the baseline, and. And uh, and then I I, I I tell people all the time they laugh. I said, I have two of the most wonderful wives in the world, wives in the world. I married my first wife and later we got divorced, all my fault. And I married my second wife, who's now a Bible translator. That's what I needed in my And she has taught me she hasn't told me one thing. We, we've been married 35 years. She hasn't told me how to be in one thing that that you do in life. But she shows me how to do. She shows me how compassionate she is. She shows me how nice she is. One day I come down, I come downstairs and and I I have dishes that I use, you know, and, you know, and she she has her nice dishes upstairs, and I have nice ones down here, and all my dishes were gone. And I went, what the heck did you do with my dishes? And she says, well, I found out there was this family at church, they had nothing, so I took all, I took all these dishes and gave them to them. <laughs> that's what kind of wife I have. I'd uh, like I say, I've learned so much by my wife, by by example, by my kids. Uh, and if you don't have something inside you and, and I say something I'm, the faith faith means you believe it and and you don't really ha- have a lot of proof for it, but you just believe it. That's what faith is. And I can say I've been blessed with so many wonderful people in my life that I, I I truly believe that I owe a debt to everybody I meet because I've been given so much. I've having so much good happen. Everybody says, well, you had this and you had that. Yeah, but I've had so much good happen that I owe a debt to everybody I've met that has helped me along the way. And all I'm trying to do now is, is just pay it back. I get up every morning. I thank God. I thank him for everything that he's given me. What can I do today to maybe help somebody out? maybe a kid, maybe a young kid playing ball, or maybe a, you know, a grandfather or, or somebody dealing with illness. And that's, I don't know, that's just the way I rolled in my last years.
0: I think it's great. That's, that's a perfect way to, to end the messaging to our show. And unless uh, Mark and Will, you have one last question or Rich, is there anything that we missed that you, you want to get across to our audience of six 68,000 now 74 countries? Um, I think that's a great way to wrap.
3: Uh tremendous inspiration, Rich. God bless you. And um uh God bless the good Lord up above that guides us to do the right things, and you're certainly doing them.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, Dave,
1: Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Um yeah, I knew I knew you'd be a great guest. You you're one of the better baseball storytellers and uh and you're better inspiration for life. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on.
2: It's been a pleasure to be on, guys. Thank you.
0: Hang with us for a minute. And I will. before I forget, now I know we talked yesterday about it and a little bit pre-show. Make sure you give my my love to the Rappellas, Gary, Magdalena,
2: I will Liz. I, I
0: forgot Stephen before. Stephen did an internship Steven. for me in scouting. Yeah. Yep. yeah. When he was in college.
2: <laughs> His dad called
0: out? and said he needs to do an internship. Do you have something in scouting you could give him with basketball? And I, he worked for me for a year. And, oh, they're, uh,
2: they're a great family, and uh, I, I will convey that message.
0: Those are Steubensville's finest right there. I, I love those guys. And then to our audience of 68,000, thanks so much for for joining us. This is uh, show number two on what we call Wild Turkey Thursday. Here, six straight shows. We'll be followed up by the Hall of Famer Jim Cott um, in in a few minutes. I want to just remind you guys, Millions, Jaw Bats, Kinetic Arm, One-on-One, College Pathways, Monet, make sure you guys support our sponsors. Uh, We love that you guys support Wiley and Will here. And this is a day at the yard. Common sense pitching with Wiley and Well. Never going to forget that the chicken runs at midnight. I love that story. Um, yeah. We appreciate you sharing that.
1: A movie. They're making a movie. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: California Avenue Productions. I just met with the writers this morning, and we hope to they hope they're in this, the, the development stage, and we they hope to get it out probably within the next eighteen months. So hopefully, it'll be on the screens, and everybody can see the story come to life.
3: Well, that'll be awesome.
0: Be awesome. Yeah, make sure, and we'll stay in touch. We'll have to have you back if you don't mind um, when you've got some availability. But appreciate you coming on. And thanks again, guys, for another great show. This is a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will on the Real Voices of the Game.